Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It's good to have everyone here again as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. We're going to be on the next to the last lesson today. We'll be taking up beginning at chapter 3 at verse 18. And I've entitled this Response to Christ Part 2 in Relationships. In the lesson today we get into much more specific information and commands given by our Lord on, <clears throat> on to, uh, in order to benefit us in various relationships in which we are involved in our homes and in other parts of our lives. And these, these uh, groups of people that will be discussed, specific groups, there are six individual categories. And if you look at them, we really break up into three pairs or three reciprocal relationships that we'll look at uh, with uh, if we have sufficient time. First thing I want to do is review a little bit from last week. We looked particularly at the effect of peace, the peace of God has in our relationships. <clears throat> and there are three commands that are given in this passage that we looked at, and they're summarized here for you in verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Be thankful. If God's peace is ruling, if it's the empire, umpire that is helping us in our decision-making processes, then in, in turn we will be thankful for that fact and for all that we recognized recognize in the relationships which God allows us to build because we have his peace in our hearts. And then we're directed to let the word of God or the word of Christ dwell in us richly, abundantly, uh, pl plentifully. And then it concludes with the statement, whatever you do in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Now that last phrase or expression there can I think to my way of thinking also be considered as a command as well because it's talking about connecting together all those three previous things do all of those things whatever they are in the name of the Lord that should be the driving force in our lives and in our decision making in the things that we do. And I think as we proceed along today and start to look at some of these specific relationships, I hope you'll notice that uh, there is a sense of continuity or being continuous uh, in how we go about uh, making and carrying out these particular relationships. And as we discussed briefly last week, this idea that uh, of uh, that this is something that we learn, something that we 
acquire by virtue of practice and experience. And that is something I think we probably all have learned as, uh, as we go through uh, an evolution, perhaps, on some of the relationships in which we are involved. We, I think, with each individual, perhaps, even have to learn some of the differences and idiosyncrasies that each of us have in order to build strong and lasting relationships. In this passage today, it gets very specific about how to build some strong and lasting relationships. And the first imperative or command, if you will, is given with regard to the home. It's a familiar passage and uh, discussion on this particular subject uh, has, and in certain venues, stirred up a great deal of heat and oftentimes not a lot of enlightenment. Well, it's my desire and my intent to minimize the heat and hopefully I can add a little bit of enlightenment because I have learned some things myself in studying this that I hope to share with you. And notice that I have shown the wife progressing up a set of stairs. And I believe that that is the case for the wife, that she will move to a higher level, certainly in the eyes of the Lord, if she is truly in submission to her husband. And it qualifies or modifies this conduct when it says in Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord, as it is appropriate, as it is proper for you to behave. And again, repeating myself on this idea of continuous, it suggests the idea that this is something that is not only continuous, but habitual. And I think we'll notice as we look at all three of these groups, all of them are described as being under authority, a particular authority in the context of wives, the children, the bond servants that are mentioned here. And all of these relationships, when we look at them, I hope you will see that there is a connection to the authority that rests in Christ. And it is his authority, it is his all-sufficient, preeminent nature that is the bedrock of these relationships uh, that we'll be considering. And, it, and that's not, we're not talking about relationships just for wives, but for all of us and all of our relationships. In thinking about this, I tried to educate myself because, as I say, there have been a, a lot of discussion and sometimes controversy about trying to understand this, and I wanted to understand it to the best way possible for me in looking at what the Bible has to say. So one thing that I did was to look at some of the terms and how they're defined. There are two terms particularly that are used that are important in this. One of them is submit or be subjected to, be subject to, or submission. And the other is obey or obedience. The first one has its origin in the military and carried the idea of arranging an order uh, in rank, uh, being under authority. 
And that term is used with reference to wives, and it's also used with reference to the church in Ephesians 5.24, not in this particular context, but in a very similar context in Ephesians 5, where it is speaking also of relationships. Then it calls on using a different word for children and slaves or bondservants to obey. And that word comes from the word that's based on hearing. It, it, it is defined as hear and do, hearken to, listen to, and then do what you're called upon to do. And in connection with these two terms and understanding a little bit the distinction, uh, and there is some, uh, it, I should also say that the idea or the definition of submit often includes in it the word obey. In many Bible dictionaries that you'll look at, you'll see that uh, as a part of the definition. But one thing I think we need to keep in mind that obedience is a voluntary phenomena. God calls on us. He commands us in many cases to do certain things. But I don't have to do those. If I choose not to obey, that is my choice. He's given me free will. Uh, if he were to force me to do that, that would not be obedience. That would be coercion. Now, the military has a way to demand obedience. They have mechanisms in place that make it make for a pretty immediate response. God, on the other hand, gives us his commands and he allows us to choose to obey or not. But the time frame for his uh, reward or punishment for obedience, disobedience, comes at a later time, as we're all very familiar Our obedience to God, again, as I think we all understand, is to be motivated by love, not because of the fact that God commands it or that we are forced to do it. Now, further on this language that's used here, this term submit, and I have to take us down into the weeds of Greek a little bit, And I want to say right off the bat, I claim no particular expertise in the the matter that I'm going to present here. What I do say that I have the ability to do is to read good reference books. And I have read a bunch of them in the past week. And what I find are these three what are called voices, and it has to do with who is taking the action. In the active voice, the person or thing is causing the action to happen. In the middle voice, the person or thing is involved in the action. And in the passive voice, the recipient, uh, the beneficiary of the action. And in this passage and in the New Testament, the active voice is used in a rather, rather limited number of cases, half a dozen or so. And in every one of those, it's either referring to God or to Christ. God and Christ are the only ones who can cause uh, submission. 
And if God causes, chooses to cause submission, trust me, I think we all understand that that will happen. It's not something that, I'm not talking about when he commands us to do something. I'm talking about when he says the world, the universe, all creation will submit to God. That is the case. We know that to be true. And in English, we might say in the active voice, well, he or I play or played football. Uh, that's how it might be understood in English. God created or made all uh, creation subject to him. He also made all things subject to his son, that same active voice term that's used. Not commanding uh, and expecting obedience, but declaration of a fact, and it happens. Then the middle voice, when the subject, the person is involved in submitting, and that's the term or the voice that's used in Colossians 3 and 18 when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. You are involved in your own submission to your husband. It's something done willingly. And on the other side of that, the husband is also involved in creating a loving leadership environment so that that wife will feel uh, good about placing herself uh, in submission, submitting to her husband. The passive voice, that's the one that's used in by far the greatest number of cases, and there uh, the recipient of the action uh, is the case that's involved there. An example of that in English might be the football team lost the game. Uh, the football team was the one that received the action of losing. Uh, in the passive voice in the New Testament, creation is subject or submits to God. The church is subject to Christ, and uh, we are uh, to be in subjection or submit to one another. Uh, Ephesians 5. In all of these passages, uh, all of these passive voice passages, one of the things that I noted is that underneath every one of them is the authority of God or the authority of Christ is the bedrock foundation on which those uh, statements of, uh, of action uh, are made. So when we talk about these things, we need to think in terms of God's authority is the basis of all of it, is the foundation. And <clears throat> one thing as well that we need to keep in mind, I think, in thinking about this, other people will sometimes quote other passages of Scripture and say, well, this one overrides that or whatever. There is no contradiction in Scripture. That's one rule in understanding. And we need to consider some of these uh, other, pa if we consider these other passages, we need to look at context, we need to look at language, we need to look at how they are used. Now, further in trying to uh, clarify at least my own educational understanding, how I educated myself on the matter, is that what it is saying and not saying are these things here, for instance, it's not saying that a wife should submit herself to abuse. 
It's not saying that a wife should submit herself to being inferior. It's not saying give up your ideas and your opinions. It's not saying your husband can be a dictator. Your husband can force you into subjection. It's not saying that you can, as a wife, can respect or can disrespect, rather, your husband. God's not calling women wives to be in some kind of inferior position, uh, position or place in the marriage. The wife is an equal partner. And I hope that all husbands and men understand that. Those who may be who are not married perhaps are contemplating it. What we're talking about is leadership and authority in the home and setting the spiritual direction. A husband is responsible, and we'll see that in the very next verse, to provide loving leadership to his home. The spiritual direction should be that of one that is motivated and acted out and done, performed in an environment of love. A wife's opinion is just as valuable as the husband's. Uh, My wife is expert on a lot of matters that I'm certainly very willing to bow to her judgment. A husband can't be a dictator. Uh, If you try, you're going to have some undesirable outcomes from that. Those who've tried it have had direct experience with that. The word submit means to choose The wife chooses to accept the leadership of her husband. Husband is not, by these, by this term, not given authority to subjugate or demand or force obedience, submission. Jesus tells us to do, or He instructs us, and of course He does it in love. Yes. But it is it is profound, isn't it, to say as unto the Lord? That is shockingly profound. I, I agree. Uh, Brother Glenn points out the parallel passage in Ephesians five, where a wife is also told to submit. But also the husband is told to love the wife just exactly as Christ loved the church. When, I, As I say, I, I set out to try to educate myself. There are some 37 or 38 places in the New Testament where this word submit is used. And I looked at every single one of them. And I looked at the Greek in every single one of them. And this thing about the voices... Uh, let me go back. I went the wrong way. This, this thing here stands out when you lay out a pattern and list all of those. It stands out very clearly. God is the only one that has authority to demand and require total submission for wives, for slaves, for those of us who are citizens in government. The terminology is laid out that we are to volunteer. We involve ourselves in submission by placing ourselves under the authority of those 
of government or whatever, but also that government must be one that is that rules well. Otherwise, uh, rebellion may result. But continuing on, the second command or imperative that's given in this passage is the very next verse. Husbands, love your wives. And Brother Wayne Jackson uh, wrote this about, uh, about this particular passage. He said, a husband who loves his wife will provide gentle leadership. He will not assume the role of a tin god who attempts to rule his wife with an, un, with an iron fist. And again, to repeat myself, love and leadership have to be linked together. Uh, they have to be coupled in a way so that the wife is willingly uh, submissive to the leadership, to the role of the husband in uh, leading the home. It is easy if you try to be a dictator, if you try to force your will, if you're tight-fisted, if you're assertive, if you try to dominate, uh, the outcomes are not going to be good. You will uh, do, as the, the passage goes on to say, you will embitter your wife. Love your wives so that they do not become embittered. There's another verse in First Peter chapter 3 at verse 7. And it, has, it sheds light on this, I think. First Peter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Honoring her in this passage means to assign great value to her. You treat her as a very valuable and precious person that she is and that she deserves. To do so, uh, to do otherwise rather, uh, is unchristian. And it says in this passage, if she is a Christian, you regard her as a as being heirs together of the grace of life. She is a fellow heir with us to Christ, in Christ. The other thing that it says there in First Peter three and verse seven, it goes on to say that your prayers may not be hindered. Now that word hindered comes from a word that means to cut. That says, I think, or suggests that if you are the wrong kind of husband, if you do not honor and love your wife, your prayers are going to be cut. God will not hear them. It is fundamental to our relationship as husbands that we honor and love our wives otherwise that relationship with God becomes all messed up it becomes damaged so I think the other thing that comes out of this uh, this passage in 1st 3 to 3 and also in, in Colossians 3 is that both of us are in 
the game of life, so to speak, if you will, in this endeavor as husband and wife in marriage, that we are in it to help one another get to heaven. Uh, we are in, a, in it so that we together can lift up our prayers to God and he will hear the prayers that come from a, from a union that is united and loving and being led by a husband who truly honors and regards as very precious his wife. I'm going to stop here and yes, I see Brother Glenn holding his hand up. I was going to ask if there are any questions or observations at this point because I've, I've kind of dumped a lot on you about this thing of submission, but Brother Glenn. I'm, I want to know if uh, this translation is different from, from what I'm reading from. Verse 19 in the one I'm reading from, I'm reading from New King James, emphasizes that the husband, see the wives, I'm sorry, the husband is the one who is prohibited from being bitter toward his wife. The verse reads, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And the translation here says, so that they, that would be the wife, the wives do not become bitter. Who is, who is the one talked about being bitter in verse 19? Uh, good question. Who is the one being spoken of as being bitter uh, in this passage? If I'm remembering correctly, it's the New American Standard and some others that speak of the wife as being embittered. I don't know. Does someone have one of those translations? The New American Standard says the husband? Yeah, okay. Well, it must be the Bill Eads translation then. Uh, <laughs> I messed that one up, didn't I? Uh, well, in either case, I think the uh, the bur- there is not just a burden for submission on the wife. There is a heavy burden on the husband to avoid anything that uh, is 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 bitter in his own conduct, because the outcome for that in the relationship is not good at all. It will have a disastrous effect. Uh, anyone else have any any questions, comments? Yes, sir, Brother Fred. Just a comment. To succeed in the role of a husband requires the man to be, as Jesus put it, mindful of the things of God. <coughs> when he can demonstrate that to his wife, his wife will then realize his heart is in the right place. And when they're young... He has a mind to learn what he needs to learn. Given those two things, a young wife, I would think, would find it easy to follow the spiritual leadership of the husband. And the more that that remains true as they grow older together, the more readily I think the wife will have confidence in her husband. And similarly, the more readily the husband will have 
rightful confidence in himself to follow the footsteps of God. Does all that make sense? Yes, yes it does. Uh, if I can summarize, Brother Fred points out that the husband needs to dwell on and think on and uh, give thought to the things of the Lord and let that show in his conduct. And that that sort of leadership in the home and uh, example will influence the wife. And so she can pick up on that and in turn the two of them together are focusing on the things of the Lord and making a bond that uh, that the Lord intends, I think. One of the things that I realized in studying this is, or hit me, is the consequence that is the understanding of these passages together, the wife submitting, the husband loving, is that I think I understand even better now why God hates divorce. Because he's looking and he's prescribing marriage relationship, a relationship between man and woman that is so special and can be so strong. And to go through a divorce that breaks that and destroys all of that uh, has to be, and I know is, is offensive to God. Yes. Let me get a little bit closer. The comment made about the sister passage, so to speak, of Ephesians 5. Uh, The key there is if you love your wife as Jesus loved the church, I mean, what did he do for the church? Everything that he did was about the church. And it's as a husband, if I'm going to love my wife in the same way, then what I do, how we conduct our home, raise our children, it's got to be in that manner. Totally. Uh, the comment is a good one about the sister passage in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, where it speaks of the husband's love for the wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, thinking about all that Christ was willing to do and has done and continues to do for the church uh, sets a standard, a high standard for those of us who are husbands. Uh, and and it will have a long-term beneficial effect as the passage in, in First Peter suggests to us. We're heirs together and those, those that couple that focuses on the things of the Lord that lets themselves be guided by a love that's so strong that it can only be surpassed by the love of Christ uh, that will make for a very strong marriage yes sir absolutely I'm glad to have you comment thank you great passages and would you say that the, the greater stress or challenge in our time about a husband or wife in reference to this discussion is should a husband be good to his wife? The greater challenge biblically is should a wife be submissive to her husband? That's the hard one. The other one's rather, at least on its face, simple. But, but the one that is most 
difficult and controversial is the submission of the wife. And, uh, so much that I listened to a recording last week of, uh, of a man who was arguing that there is no distinction between husbands and wives with reference to leadership in the home. And, and that's just error. You know, that would just be wrong. You have to, you have to run over some very plain passages, as you point out. comment again. Uh, Brother Glenn points out that <clears throat> on, on, its, on its face anyway, us husbands loving our wife is not, not e- I wouldn't say it's easy peasy, but uh, the greater challenge perhaps in our time is this matter of submission of the wives. And that is what I was hinting at at the, at the outset. It sometimes can stir up a great deal of heat and not a lot of enlightenment. And that is why I spent, uh, I looked at all 38 of those passages. I read them in English. I read them, uh, <clears throat> not that I read them in Greek. I looked at Greek commentaries and I looked at uh, lexicons and that sort of thing. And I tried my very best to understand the significance of, of that one little word. Uh, and it is something that the wife has to willingly Except, not, not something that a husband can demand. Sister Eileen. It also says that we are to obey or uh, respect our own husbands. People coming into marriage have different talents and abilities. So, say, a woman, some woman doesn't know how to balance a checkbook or doesn't, isn't interested in that. And so the husband takes over that duty. In the first case, Maybe just the opposite, where the woman is more into that kind of thing, that means the husband treats to do other things. But then you get the people from outside looking in and say, I can't believe you let your wife take care of the checkbook. So I think we need to use a little common sense of what works best and use our own God given intuition of who does what better rather than. Have the same thing that the woman stays home and doesn't, you know, work outside the home or whatever. And we've been guilty of that in the past, I think. I think it speaks to this matter of mutual respect uh, and recognition of one another's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, A husband may have a strength in an area. And the wife may not, or it may be that the wife has that particular strength. And a couple who is wise will have this mutual respect that allows one another to take roles and responsibilities and carry out duties and tasks, if you will, that are, that they have the ability to do. The husband can still lead. The wife can still submit in the true meaning that, that it has in the Bible, but at the same time, we can be flexible and respect and utilize our strengths and weaknesses or avoid weaknesses. Yes, Sister Peggy. Well, uh, you may mention twice the arrows. He was to look at her uh, in the place of honor, of honor as an heir. And at that time, heirs were men 
music in the first bar and song. And that would be very plus for a man to look at her and give her the same status as he would somebody that had a great inheritance. He points out that culturally in that time men were the only ones typically who inherited. Here, of course, it's talking about being heirs together in Christ, heirs of eternal life. And there's two categories in this context where that is an issue. Husband, wife is one of them, and with regard to slaves is the other, which we will talk about in just a moment. But I don't want to cut the discussion off. If there are other thoughts, questions, comments, I'd be interested to hear. Anyone else? Had some great discussion. I appreciate it. Yes? Um, in modern times, in equity, you know, men and women being equal, I think what is not ignored, because you hear the word misogyny thrown around a lot, like I've had younger girls say, well, it's misogynistic. <laughs> and something I, it, this Ephesians quote, 525, and this is really important, something that I think especially the younger people lose the reality of the way God created the natural order of things. It says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Still today, no matter how much we're doing all this wacky stuff, when, when it comes down to it, um, men are held to this higher standard where they have to give their lives up for their family. And in truth, if things go sideways or things go wrong, that's the natural order of things that still happens. Like, I think this really up, uh, can apply in like, a family crisis situation. Like, the man still needs to be the leader kind of to get, to get things done. I think it's the reality of it, and I think it's something that we don't... God set up things a certain way, and I think when um, we don't adhere to that, uh, things go wrong. If that makes any sense, and I think people have lost the fact they're like, oh, it's misogyny. It's like, no, the man's the leader. Like, it, it just he needs to be. I don't, know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, it's the natural order of things that I think people don't ignore and don't appreciate how God created things. The point, the point is made again is another good one in that if you even in today's society where there's a lot of dialogue and calling of names and putting people in categories and saying uh, that they are inferior or not uh, as superior or whatever, uh, that there still seems to be a recognition in our society that the men are held more accountable for assuring the safety for the protection of their homes, of their wives. Uh, that probably is the case I think for most people there are some, I suspect, who are so uh, determined to undermine this idea of the submission of the wife that perhaps they would reject even that. I don't know. That's just perhaps a thought off the top of my head. But that is a good point, that even society tends to recognize that the man has this ultimate responsibility to care for, to protect his family. The third category of command is uh, relates to this reciprocal relationship between slaves and masters. Uh, <clears throat> in verse 
22. Bondservants, and this is a new King James, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with thy service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And I've listed on the slide there with the heart the various things that are the points that are made in these passage in this passage, not as men pleasers, not just when the boss is looking, not when the master is looking, but at all times. And it is always to be done <clears throat> at that point. Uh, well, two points. One of them is fearing God, having respect for God and for your master, and doing everything as to the Lord. Uh, God, the relationship with God, should control, should regulate how the master, if he is a Christian, how the slave if he is a Christian, behaves toward his master and the master toward the slave. Uh, and it goes on <clears throat> in a later verse to say that the Lord regards good and he repays wrongdoing. Is that the first bell? I hope it is. Uh, here, one of the things that I did want to mention in that matter came up earlier of inheritance. A slave could not inherit. The master could inherit if, if he was a man, presumably. Uh, but with God, even slaves inherit. In fact, the master doesn't inherit any more than the slave if they are both Christians. Uh, eternal inheritance is something that is a reward for both the master and the slave. There's some other commands, imperatives, if you will, that are given in this. And again, these are in pairs. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And masters, be just and fair. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. A child should listen <clears throat> attentively, but a parent, on the other hand, should treat them so as not to exasperate or provoke, uh, carry out or try to uh, be such a controlled person or demand or criticize or nag uh, so that the child is uh, uh, made to feel uh, less valuable uh, <clears throat> or uh, to be discouraged is the term that's used there and that word means it comes from a word that means not and it comes from a word that means passion so don't do things that will destroy the passion the desire the enthusiasm the willingness of your children and slaves treat your mas or masters rather treat your slaves with fairness, with justice. There are two imperatives that are given to all Christians. Those others were to various categories, individual categories. Be continuous in prayer and walk in wisdom toward outsiders. These have to do with first of our relationship with God. Communication with God, with one another in any relationship is absolutely fundamental then I think we will probably in our evangelism seminar hear more about this matter of walking in wisdom toward outsiders. How do we use the time we have available 
And how do we speak in such a way so that we don't offend, so that we destroy any incentive, any interest on the part of someone we hope to interest in things righteous and the things of God. These are some applications, and I don't have time to go into them in any great detail. But remember, all of our relationships, all of these relationships that are discussed here, didn't have time to highlight it, but in every one of them it uses words like as fitting in the Lord or in the Lord or as it pleases the Lord. Everything comes back to a relationship to the Lord. And that's highlighted in these very specific relationships here. Uh, And so, if we are going to be submissive as wives, loving as husbands, just as employers, as masters, and use wisdom toward those who are outside, we need to always tie ourselves or thinking back to the foundation. Our master, our all-sufficient Lord, preeminent one, Jesus Christ. Next week is the last one, lesson number 13th, the 13th quarter or 13th lesson or class will be on the 25th, and Brother D. Mar Elam will be speaking in that class. So uh, look forward next week to finishing up Colossians. We're going to start at verse 7 and finish through in chapter 4 and finish chapter 4 next week. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.